I wonder if people will ever say, let's hear about Frodo in the ring. And they'll say, yes, it's one of my favorite stories. Frodo was really courageous, wasn't he, Dad? Yes, my boy. The most famousest of hobbits. And that's saying a lot. You've left out one of the chief characters. Samwise the Brave. I want to hear more about Sam. Frodo wouldn't have got far without Sam. Now, Mr. Frodo, you shouldn't make fun. I was being serious. So was I. So that was near the beginning of The Lord of the Rings when the two set out on their adventure and Sam Gangee envisions this successful future and Frodo promises that they will do it together. It's kind of like a little hobbit covenant. Like Sam Gangee, Jonathan shares this spiritual strength of humility. He will celebrate David's becoming king without jealousy. Now these are my jealousy glasses. And you might have noticed that Saul wears jealousy glasses all the time. King Saul's comparing things. He's, he's looking to see how's his son stacking up. Well, last week, Scott Dudley taught us how to escape the jealousy that poisoned Jonathan's father, King Saul. Jonathan somehow miraculously clearly heard Scott's sermon. Jonathan is in tune with God. He knows that David being king is God's will. He switches the scorecard. Though he's the rightful heir to the throne, he gives up his place. He doesn't compare himself and say, why not me, though he too is a mighty leader and warrior. He celebrates David's success, even giving him the princely gear. So Scott preached on Saul the Jealous, and today's sermon lifts up Saul's son, Jonathan the Generous. I think I got the better of the assignments. Uh, but don't worry, I got this button for Scott which says, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. <laughs> I thought I'd give this to Scott as an early Christmas present, or maybe it's an Easter surprise, and it's better than a chocolate bunny, less calories. So here's the opening scene in our story. David has just slain Goliath, the giant Goliath, with a sling and a stone. King Saul calls for the young hero, David, the harpist, the shepherd boy, the runt of Jesse's litter, to come before him. And David arrives with, John, with Goliath's head in his hand. I mean, what a scene. You know, maybe when you're called to the king, you might leave the head and then just go to the king. But no, David arrives like with the war spoils. Here it is. And in that moment, can you just see some, like the poignancy of it? Like, wow, this guy is something. And something shifts inside Jonathan. It's like he's given the eyes to see David as God sees him. That God has anointed David, and it is just abundantly clear to Jonathan in that moment. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his self. He wanted the best for David, just like he would want it for himself. He wanted David to fulfill God's purposes, just like he would want to fulfill God's purposes. And he does. Jonathan gives David his tunic, his robe, even his sword and his bow and his belt, his weapons. Now, King Saul is standing there too, right? He's the one who called for this encounter. What is going on in King Saul 
as he watches his son, the prince, the heir to his throne, give away all the symbols of his position. I've heard that for men, respect is the most important aspect of a relationship. While for women, it's all about being loved. Uh, what was it like for King Saul when he sees kind of his own reputation, his esteem, his legacy being given away? It's, it's kind of a disrespect. He's watching his firstborn bend the knee to another person to be overshadowed by this little shepherd boy. It's just like he, I, I hear him almost as a dad, like the papa bear coming out and saying, hey, Jonathan, wait, 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 hold on. You are in line to go to Princeton. You've got a legacy. You're going to inherit the family business, and buddy, it's a great business. You're going to get the estate, the stature, the power. Don't give it all away. What are you doing? I just want to get, I'm going to get rid of this guy. Just let me take care of this. I'll get rid of David and you'll rise up. And it's like Jonathan just stands against his powerful dad by, by knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has anointed David and Jonathan's going to get with that plan. It is more important to him to live out God's will than, than somehow to please his father. He's caught in this weird position. And what, what happens as the story unfolds is his soul will belong to David. He is loyal to David, but he lives out his life fighting beside his father. He loses his life. Uh, so he, he somehow holds the balance of both being absolutely loyal to David and somehow absolutely being loyal to his father. Like God provides that. So I confess I've been watching this popular uh, TV show. Some folks might call it a soap opera, but those of us who become addicts call it D.A., Downton Abbey. Yes, some of you have watched. Okay. On this show, which is set in, in a, a giant manor in England, there's a lord. His name is Grantham. He has three daughters. His youngest daughter falls in love and becomes determined to marry the chauffeur. This is not okay with Lord Grantham. This is similar to King Saul. He just can't wrap his mind around the idea that God has anointed someone other than Jonathan. So we see Jonathan and David living out this friendship despite opposition, living out this friendship that seems to be God-ordained. God works through friendship, this one and others. God orchestrates kingdom moments. And God promises that we are not alone on this earth no matter what happens, no matter how heavy the burden, no matter what the challenge. Jesus himself had 12 teammates or disciples. Three of them were his very closest circle of friends. Jesus values friendship, not just for himself, but for us as well. The, the intimacy of community is not just meant for us even as couples. We're, we're meant to be in a broader relationship. So I've read this uh, parts of this book, which I'd read the whole thing, I confess, by Lynn Babb talking about the impact that technology has had on friendships. And I want to just take a look at some of the wisdom that she brings. She outlines a spectrum of friendship. On one side is kind of the function of friends, the transaction-based friendship, and then on the other side is affectionate friends. So a function friend is someone that you maybe work with, a coworker, 
someone that you have a common task with. Maybe it's your, a, a couple who's parenting together. It becomes a common task. At least in our household, this common task can sometimes overtake family life. When every conversation with my husband starts to have an agenda. Who's picking up the kids at school? Who's making dinner? Who bought anything to make for dinner from the grocery market? What about the homework? What about calling grandpa? What about our weekend plans? Did anybody feed the dog today? It's just everything and everybody becomes a project. This sounds more like me than I really want to admit, but it happens. Maybe some of you were nodding. Rich and I, he was nodding. Okay, so at least in the Leatherberry and Easley households, it's like this. So, then there's another type of friendship, the affectionate friendship. For me, I remember being in fifth grade with that yellow telephone dial telephone on the wall with the curly cord, and you sort of had to stay attached to it. Well, I would stay attached to it for hours, talking to my fifth grade best friend. We were not solving the world's problems. We were just chatting. Maybe a little bit about teachers, maybe a little homework, maybe a little, you know, what's going on, you got your new puppy, etc. Now, for me, that can sometimes be a coffee date where we're sitting in the coffee shop until someone comes and says, hey, we're closing. It's time to go home. You're appreciated in this kind of friendship just for who you are. There's just a joy in being together. You're not about any big purpose. So friendship can start on either end of the spectrum, functional or affectionate, and grow into being a colleague or maybe a buddy and then you start to do more things together. And best of all, I believe if you let him, Jesus will draw you closer together as friends. Maybe you become what I call soul friends, where you both have a sense of purpose and a great joy. For me, I just love the people that I work with. We're all about the same purpose. We're fully committed to it. And yet we really have a great love for one another. Maybe a friendship starts at work or with kids in the same class at school, like this story that I want to tell you from Deb Christians, who is one of our elders and on the board of Eastside Academy. She can't be here today, but she wrote this story, and I want to share it with you. This is Deb's, these are Deb's words. God gifted me with a friend named Annie. We bonded over parenting and didn't speak much of faith. One day, I asked Annie to go to a Christian concert. She began listening to Christian music and coming to church. She was fond of an artist named Mark Schultz and purchased tickets to see him in concert. Annie began to struggle in her marriage and soon became a single mom without a job or home. My husband and I bought a condo to rent to Annie and her boys. She found a job she enjoyed with medical benefits. Then I got a call. She had been diagnosed with melanoma. Her treatment required lengthy hospital stays. I was blessed to be with her evenings and even some overnights. Annie fell into a coma. I prayed for miraculous healing. The day she woke up, I experienced the crazy joy of talking to my friend again. Mark Schultz was coming in concert again in Seattle. I bought tickets, but the pain was too great and Annie could not leave the hospital. She demanded that I go and take a friend, just as I had taken her years before. After the show, I asked Mark for his autograph and a note for Annie. I told him her story. He asked how far away was the hospital and said we should visit her. He walked to my car to go and see someone he did not know. He asked questions about Annie, 
her family and her life. He sat down on her hospital bed and shared himself and what his songs were all about. Annie's favorite song was called, He Carried Me. Mark told her the story behind the song. It was above and beyond anything I could have prayed for. Annie's last words to me were a question. Did you take me to church? I answered yes. She said, thank you. I was there when she took her final breath. I'm eternally grateful that I asked Annie to that concert and for the friend God gave me in her. He showed up and proved to me that he indeed was carrying Annie and us all during the journey. He carried her. Deb and Annie's friendship is an example of what I call a kingdom moment. God orchestrates these kingdom moments. These two women became acquaintances through their kids, just an ordinary encounter. And then from that everyday moment until the end of earthly life and into eternity, their friendship ushers in God's kingdom. Not just for them, but maybe even for us as we hear their story. Who is God putting in your path? At the office, on the soccer field, in your neighborhood when you take a walk? Years ago, when I was in seminary, many years ago, uh, at Princeton, we used to take the orange-yellow uh, school bus, kind of, you know, that color, golden school bus, from married student housing onto campus. And when I'd go on this bus every day with my little lunch sack, there was this really chatty guy named Mark DeVries, and he could make that ordinary bus ride extraordinary. Even today, when Mark is out to eat, he takes this playful challenge. It goes like this. When the waiter arrives or waitress arrives at your table to introduce themselves, he asks the dinner companions after the waiter walks away to rate, like give a grade to what mood you think the waiter was in. You know, kind of a D or what B-ish. And the challenge is that during the meal, the way you interact with your wait person is going to bring their spirit up one grade level. Wherever they started, you're going to bring them up one level. And... There are bonus points if you can get Jesus into the conversation. <laughs> so one night in Tennessee, my friend Mark was out with his wife, and the waiter was none other than an undiscovered Mark Schultz. You never know how God will orchestrate kingdom moments. Hear Mark Schultz tell the story. Why have you done all this for me? I was a waiter, and, and you said, come hang out with these kids. And I said, no, I'm here to do music. He, I remember he stood up from his desk and he walked over and he put his arms around me and he said, it's not my job to decide who gets into heaven or not. It's just my job to listen to God and say this person needs to be in the race and then I get in the stands and cheer for him just like you've been doing for these kids. I, I can't imagine doing what I do now without having a DeVries in my life. I feel like I've gotten adopted into this community and my gift has flourished because DeVries brought that out of me. So Mark DeVries happened to be seated at Mark Schultz's table one night in a restaurant. That's how God orchestrates kingdom moments. And I will try to put this YouTube clip up, but it turns out that someone had given Mark Schultz, the singer, Mark DeVries' name six months before. Just suggested maybe he'd like to get to know this youth pastor. So then there God puts him at the table. And Mark DeVries just kept inviting Mark Schultz to come work with kids, probably knowing on the pastor's side he needed a musician. But, you know, 
God used it anyway. So the two get to be interacting. And time and again, Mark Schultz gets inspired by the work he's doing in youth ministry to write the stories that he's written. He eventually kind of had to be kicked out of the nest and told, go ahead now, you're, you're going to be a Christian musician. You've, you've had enough interning here at the church. So Mark DeVries, Mark Schultz, Deb Christian, Annie, Jonathan, all turning their lives and their friendships toward God and transforming communities forever. God created us for community, to be God's people together, not just individually. We're not designed to journey through life in isolation. And I know when the going gets tough and, and those walls of our security break down, we are tempted to build them up even stronger so that no one knows what's going on behind our glasses, you know? But the truth is what God sees those moments as the very time when the community of Jesus is for you. So friends, if you find yourself in that vulnerable place, know that you're created even then for community. Jesus meets us in these kind of situations. He is our friend when we're overwhelmed or when we feel alone, when our knees buckle under the weight, the burdens of life, or when we are on our knees begging for mercy. We can trust that God longs to bring us into relationship with himself and his covenant people. Friends, we're those covenant people. Who are you going to coffee with this week? What kind of little moment might God want to take and use for his kingdom? In her last moments, Annie thanked Deb for taking her to church. Mark Schultz credits his mentor for launching his career. That mentor he met just on a chance because God seated him in a certain section in a certain restaurant. David responds with gratitude, bowing three times to Jonathan, sealing their covenant with each other. We're bound by covenant, not by contract. God's not up there measuring how well we did each day. He's inviting us into his kingdom purposes. In this covenant, in this invitation, we want God's best for each other. Even if the adventure becomes exhausting, we lift each other up. We carry each other if necessary. Jesus calls it loving one's neighbor as oneself. Let's see how Sam Ganji lives this out. Do you remember the shine, Mr. Furl? It'll be spring soon. The orchards will be in blossom. And the birds will be nesting in the hazel thicket. And they'll be sowing the summer barley in the lower fields. And eating the first of the strawberries with cream. Do you remember the taste of strawberries? Sam, I can't recall the taste of food. Not the sound of water. Touch of grass. Naked in the dark. There's, there's nothing, no veil between me and the wheel of fire. See him with my waking eyes. Then let us be rid of it. Once and for all.
Come on, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry it for you. But I can carry you. Come on! There's a sucker for that. Don't you want a friend like that? That's Jesus. That's Jesus' people who says, you know, whatever is coming at you, I'm with you. I will carry you. We will get through this. We are on a kingdom pathway. We're on a kingdom adventure. We're on a kingdom journey. There's no power that can stop us because Jesus is for us. So friends, don't bother with jealousy. Don't bother with comparison. Don't bother with wishing your life were some other way. If anyone had a reason to do that, it was Jonathan. And that's not what he does. He's Jonathan the generous. He's Jonathan who sees what God wants to do through another and he blesses him. He gives him all he's got. Let's be those kind of people. Please pray with me. Mighty God, we thank you that you have given us every spiritual resource in the person of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the gift of your resurrection, that there is nothing that can stop your will, and that, Lord God, there is nothing that can separate us from your love, which is far bigger than any achievement we could ever aspire to. So, God, may we be so filled up with who you are that we're not worried about who we are, we're not comparing ourselves to others, but Lord, we're full of who you want us to be. And Lord, give us whatever it is, whether it's humility, whether it's courage, whether it's confidence, give us all that we need that we might have your eyes to see the world as you see it, to see people as you see them. Lord, take away that uh, desire that we have to compare and to win, and rather give us that desire to be the servant of all to be servant leaders, to be people who have the courage to invite someone else into relationship. Lord, I thank you for these examples that we have seen today. We ask that as you see our lives unfold, that you will tell your story through us. And we will give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.